Welcome back to another episode of This Is Mining, the podcast. I'm your host, Amber Mack. This season, we're talking about people, specifically the career opportunities for young people in mining. So far, we've learned about the labor shortage and why we need to bring our passion with us in our careers. We have debunked some persistent myths about working in mining, and we've tried to tackle the stigma against working as a skilled trade. On today's episode, we want to reflect on Indigenous culture, heritage, and identity in the workplace. Let's talk about the power of resource development partnerships and careers as a route to prosperity and reconciliation in action for Indigenous peoples. Joining me now is Don Madabi Leach, an Anishinaabekwe and member of the On Deck Omni Conning First Nation, located on the shores of Mantulan Island. Don is known as a mover and shaker as she shares her knowledge on the Aboriginal economy and through her leadership at the Wabutek Business Development Corporation. She assists communities in building their own abilities and strengthening their local economies. Dawn has been celebrated as one of Laurentian University's 25 distinguished alumni, top 100 most powerful women in Canada, and has received the Indispire Award for Business and Commerce and the Meritorious Service Medal from the Governor General of Canada. Welcome to the show, Dawn. Really great to have you here. I'm honored to be here, and I'm joining you today from the northern part of the Treaty 1 area in Manitoba. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. Today, we're going to talk about resource development partnerships and how careers can be a route to prosperity and reconciliation for Indigenous peoples. What does reconciliation look like to you? Well, there's many views on this, but I always like to refer people to the actually the calls to action of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's report from 2015, because everyone in Canada has the ability to answer those calls to action. And it's really important to, to know what they are and what they're about. But to make to break things down a little bit more, uh, 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 the National Indigenous Organizations got together last year and launched a National Indigenous Economic Strategy for Canada. And that actually has specific calls to economic prosperity. Again, it's uh, applicable to everyone in Canada, in, including companies, um, uh, all different kinds of institutions, and our even our own communities. But really, what we're looking for when you ask me about what it looks like to me, what it means is meaningful Indigenous inclusion in Canada's uh, economy to reach socioeconomic parity with the rest of Canada. So what I'm saying there is that uh, where we have the education, employment, and income levels of Indigenous people uh, at least equal to that of Canadians. So that's what reconciliation looks like to me, where there's a common understanding of uh, Canada's true history, but also work together in a shared pathway to making this socioeconomic parity happen because most Indigenous people were excluded from Canada's e economy for many years. So this is why we think it's so important uh, going forward that we focus on economic reconciliation. We know that governments can't get us there where we need to go. You know, they can help, they can facilitate. But we think that corporate Canada academia, healthcare organizations, justice organizations in our own community, as well as mainstream Canadians, um, can all 
play a role in bringing about reconciliation. As the largest private sector employer of Indigenous peoples in the country, how is the mining industry playing an active role in reconciliation? Well, many uh, resource development companies recognize the importance of economic reconciliation and proper engagement with Indigenous communities because they, they understand that it provides better project certainty, invites solutions to sustainability and climate change mitigation. And we now know that investors, shareholders, and regulators are increasing their focus on environment, social, and governments, as well as Indigenous criteria. So we know that investment will flow where there's support for Indigenous participation. And this eventually reflects positively on the revenues if done right. We also know that uh, the mining industry is providing Indigenous professionals and tradespeople with apprenticeship and work experience opportunities. Progressive companies are including Indigenous peoples on their board of directors as well and in senior positions within their, their companies. So we, we are uh, also, one of the things that's happening in Canada is that um, companies are now recognizing that uh, uh, Indigenous communities are looking at uh, ownership, uh, equity in, in a lot of these companies because our communities want to share in the uh, finances beyond the pro life of the mine. There's uh, we, we need to look at ways to extend the legacy in a positive way with revenues to these communities over a longer period of time. I always like to share that my father worked for a mine for 45 years. And my youngest brother still works in the mining uh, sector, and he's been there for more than two decades. And now his son works for the mine. I also had several uncles working in the mines, and this has allowed them to provide for their families and gain skills, um, build homes. And so it has benefited our, our you know, my, even my own family. And for our youth, I think it's important to see Indigenous peoples, uh, uh, people who look like them in these uh, workplaces, in, in senior leadership and decision-making positions, because we know all know that to attract a diverse or Indigenous workforce, it's important for people to see people who look like them to look like you at all levels of the company. So I think that that's really important. I think my brother and my nephew wouldn't be working in the mine if they hadn't seen their father working there. And, you know, they, my brother's in, a, in a more of a, a technical position now. He's, uh, he's uh, uh, becoming a leader of his team. And, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty proud of him. I wanted to read something that you wrote in the Globe Mail in June of 2022, where you said that nothing short of transformational change is needed to break the poverty remaining in far too many Indigenous communities in Canada. One of the things that you discussed uh, was a coalition of Indigenous organizations working on a roadmap to achieve this transformation through four distinct pathways, people, lands, infrastructure, and finance. I wanted to ask you uh, about the, the people path. What role can individual community members play in breaking the poverty cycle? When we talked about... Uh... And I, I, as I mentioned, it's this, this, this roadmap is called the National Indigenous Economic Strategy for Canada. And if you Google that, you'll find 
uh, copy. And uh, so I think it's really important for people listening in to have a look at that. It really shares some some uh, positive steps in what can be done. When we look at the people side of that uh, pillar, which is actually the first pillar or the first strategic direction in, in this strategy, we talk about how we aspire to having the you know a world-class workforce amongst our people. We have a strong tradition of strong, skilled individuals in our communities. And so we want to build on that. We think it's really important that given the opportunity and uh, to work in these positions, our people would do well because we know that there's still some, uh, well, I will, I'll say systemic racism that where we have, a, we struggle to find um, uh, jobs sometimes, but we do have many individuals with top-notch skills and uh, just waiting for an opportunity to have a job. And uh, one of the things though, that uh, in this, in this, um, in this strategy, we talk about um, how important it is to engage a community and, and all of its people in deciding where to, to help, where, what they can do to build their own community economies. I think it's really, really important that we do that. So we need to look at what our strengths are as a community and to look at ways that uh, we can build on those strengths to, to take advantage of business and economic opportunities. When we do that, then we can look at the kinds of careers that support those opportunities. And we know that in, in, in Northern Ontario, there's uh, uh, only so many um, sectors that really can, can uh, provide employment at a uh, and at an extensive level, including, as you mentioned earlier, one of the largest employers of Indigenous people is mining. There's so many career paths in mining. You, you don't, if you have a health background, you can work in the, the um, health offices. If you're a graphic designer, you can work for a, a company providing graphic design. We have people who are builders and uh, uh, companies, indigenous companies that actually produce uh, drills for the mining sector. We have a lot of indigenous businesses now that are uh, providing the goods and uh, services that uh, mining companies need. So if you're not looking directly for a job in mining, you can provide goods and services to those mines by starting your own business. So I, I just, I think the most important thing though going forward is helping our communities to make informed decisions. I always stress that whether or not um, you like a particular sector, I think it's important to make sure you have some expertise come in to share their knowledge so that you can understand all aspects of the business that you're, you're looking at getting involved in. And if it's a mining company, it's you can have the financial supports to bring in the expertise to tell you about what the, the mineral that's uh, being exploited is used for and how uh, everything that we use today, whether it's a computer, our cell phones or the cars we drive, it's pretty reliant on, uh, on critical minerals. And we know that in some of our territories, we do have these minerals available. So I always respect that uh, fact that we, you know, it's up to the communities to make a decision. And if a community decides that mining is not for them, 
that's good as long as they're making an informed decision that they know all the aspects, how the mineral is taken out of the ground, for example, how you can mitigate um, environmental issues. It's making informed decisions, not just relying on um, a thought, but getting all the data you need as a community to make a good decision. I think that's the most important thing going forward and to build capacity in your community in that particular business. When you talk about um, the importance of economic development in terms of uh, addressing some of the challenges facing Indigenous peoples, how do traditional Anishinaabe values fit into this outlook? Well, full community engagement is critical. I think that it's important as, as we go forward, and I've seen really positive examples of this where communities engage their full community on multiple sessions, so that they're fully, uh, again, informed of, of some of the possibilities to make an informed decision. And that's the most important thing. Uh, um, you know, our people have done that as, as part of our values. We incorporate our teachings into this learning. I think it's really important that we do that. And, uh, but that importance of meaningful engagement, including the youth directly, that uh, in this engagement and making sure that we do this often and one session isn't good enough. You have to have several sessions, bring in all kinds of people with the expertise and knowledge to help you make a good decision. I think that that's the best way to um, go forward with our traditional values. And we know that protection of the land, stewards of the land is absolutely critical. But we also know that we can still protect the land and set aside places that the global, the whole world needs, that the globe needs. Uh, we need to protect areas and that's also important, but where we can develop uh, some of the resources in a sustainable way and have a say in how those resources are developed, I think that that's, that's the area that we wanna reach where we make those informed decisions. Don, thank you so much for taking time and uh, for uh, sharing all of these insights with us today. Thanks so much for being on the show. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Miigwech. Those are important words we heard just now from Don. Meaningful engagement, especially with youth. Joining me now is Clyde Munayas, a member of the Neskantiga First Nation and Ojibwe community located 436 kilometers northeast of Thunder Bay, Ontario. Embarking on his career, closer to home in Northern terms, Clyde is a health, safety, and environment coordinator at Wailu, a company committed to responsibly developing critical minerals from the James Bay lowlands of Northern Ontario. Minerals and metals like nickel, copper, cobalt, chrome, platinum, and palladium that are needed to support the transition to a low carbon future. Welcome to the podcast, Clyde. Walk me through your career path to what you're doing right now in health and safety in mining. So after graduating high school, I attended Lakehead University, where I graduated with a Bachelor of Arts in Indigenous Learning. After, so after graduation, I was offered the role of Health, Safety, and Environment Coordinator for Ring of Fire Minerals a role that I gladly accepted. So being in the role of health, safety, environment coordinator, I have learned a lot over the past year. But 
in order for me to further advance my knowledge in health and safety and the legislation required, I took the initiative to enroll myself into the workplace health and safety program uh, through Confederation College in Thunder Bay, Ontario. So at this time, I'm in, I'm currently in the process of uh, taking this program. You chose to go down the path of health and safety in mining. What uh, attracted you to that career path? The biggest thing for me that attracted me uh, to uh, health and safety mining is um, the topic of health and safety itself. You know, it's something that we don't really uh, necessarily talk about living in a First Nation community. Um, you know, um, we have workers that uh, that aren't aware of, you know, um, some of the legislation involved with occupational health and safety or don't, or don't take the steps necessary to protect themselves, such as wearing PPE. And so when I came here to Ring Fire Meadows and Esker site, I was amazed on the uh, safety culture that they have built throughout the years in terms of, you know, wearing PPE, uh, looking out for your coworkers, and just the overall safety culture that has been here. What does a, a day in your work look like for you? For people who perhaps have never heard about this career path that you're on, uh, what's an average day? When I come to Esker site, everybody starts their, their day at 7.30 in the morning. That is where we have our daily toolbox talk. And every so often, I would be the one um, giving our safety talk. And our safety talks uh, really depends on the work that we're conducting, the type of, the, the time of year, uh, weather hazards, and whatnot. So we start our morning every day at 7.30 a.m. And after our daily toolbox talk, um, I would go to our site office and just uh, look at my schedule for what I had planned for that day whether I'm conducting a workplace inspection, conducting a mock emergency scenario, or just in general working on uh, our monthly safety statistics. One of the themes that we have discussed throughout this podcast series is the importance of minerals and metals in our green energy future, uh, particularly metals found in the rear fire deposits in the James Bay and Hudson Bay lowlands of Northern Ontario. Why is it important for you to work for a mining company with a sustainable plan? For me, it's important that uh, that I work for a company that uh, that targets uh, zero emissions because you know um, over the years we have uh, developed major impacts to the environment with climate change and whatnot. So for me to, to be able to work for a company that you know, targets zero net emissions and is planning to go for, you know, the, the least amount of impact to the environment is, uh, I think is great. I think it will not only benefit, uh, you know, people on the ground, but, uh, but, uh, but, but the, the region as well, you know, it'll, uh, you know, minimize the impacts to the, uh, to the land 
it'll it'll minimize the impact you know, to the climate. So for me, it is very important uh, knowing that you know this project is targeting a zero net emissions and moving away from use of fossil fuels. Last season on This Is Mining, we spoke to J.P. Gladue, a prominent Indigenous business leader. He talked about the power of Northern resource development as a, a, a route to prosperity for Indigenous communities and economic reconciliation in action. One of the things he mentioned when we were having our conversation is that uh, this is a real opportunity if it's done right. Beyond employment, training, and procurement, Indigenous communities are owners and weaving Indigenous knowledge throughout the mining process. What do you see as uh, the opportunities in front of the Indigenous communities? I think the opportunities available for Indigenous communities and people uh, in the uh, Ring of Fire region is vast and great. You know, um, for me personally, I would like to see many uh, many of our younger generations, our youth that are going through grade school and high school now, for when they get to my age, to be able to be to be able to work in the mine, to able, to be able to gain skills and knowledge, um, to put into the careers, and. Um, to be able to make a living for themselves, you know, I think uh, everyone would like a job, and everyone needs a job in order to, uh, you know, to build a life they want. And we can't do that without jobs available. So, you know, having a project such as this, I think it is on a skill, you know, it, it is it is on a a very large scale project where we can provide jobs to those people in need. We can provide jobs to the local indigenous communities so that their populations can be able to work, can be able to gain knowledge, skills, and great and create everlasting friendships and connections. What about uh, you professionally? You are still early on in your career, what are your long-term career goals? You know, working in health and safety, there's a, there's a lot to learn. You know, it's not a, it's not a, a one-year thing where you can become, you know, um, a professional. You know, it's, it's working in health and safety, it's always changing. You know, there's always something new to learn every day. And there's level, and there's, different types of uh, professional designation available. You know, if you look at the uh, Canadian Board of Registered Safety Professionals, they have a CRST level, which is, uh, you know, where, where you need uh, experience for a certain amount of years, where you have to meet uh, certain education qualifications. Then above that, you have a CRSP level where you will need to meet certain requirements, uh, such as uh, working in health and safety for eight, eight years and meeting uh, certain educational requirements. So working in health and safety is a very vast discipline. You know, um, 
whether it's in the mine, whether it's in forestry or in construction, there's a lot to learn. There's a lot to grasp. And, you know, for anybody interested in work and health and safety, especially for our young indigenous people, if you are interested in work in health and safety, I would encourage you, you know, to, 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 uh, to go for it, to learn as much as you can about, uh, you know, about federal legislation and whatnot and to, uh, and to keep safety in the back of your mind, you know. When we think about safety, we think about safety on a job, but it's also important that we take safety home with us to ensure that, you know, we, we are well and healthy, to ensure our family and friends are well and healthy. You know, if someone is mowing their lawn, they're not wearing safety glasses, a rock can fly up and can potentially injure themselves, you know? So we had to take safety with us wherever we go, not just at work. I, I love that message. Uh, I know that Indigenous youth and their families who are listening to this podcast, they're going to hear you, hear your voice, your perspective, your career journey. What are some final words that you have for them as they look to build their own futures? You know, for me to share a message with our, you know, Indigenous youth and uh, our Indigenous listeners, you know, uh, whether you're in high school or whether you're, you know, um, up there in age, you know, I would say it's never too late uh, to go to school. It is never too late uh, to go for an education, whether it is to finish your Ontario secondary school diploma, go to college for, you know, a um, college diploma, or go to university for undergrad, master's, PhD, or to even a law school. You know. Going through university, I've had a lot of, um, I met a lot of students that were up there in age, a lot of them returned to school in their 50s, 60s, after working and living late for many years. And at that point of their life, they wanted to change. So it is never too late to go to school. You don't have to follow the norm. Of, as soon as you graduate at 18, you have to go directly into university or directly into college. Not everybody, you know, can do that and we know the limitations of why so it is important you know if you as a young indigenous person or you as you know an indigenous person in their 30 40s you know having having kids having a family if you would like to become educated and I encourage you to do so there are so many great opportunities available for people once, you know, you uh, earn a diploma, earn a degree. Education is the key to success. And I encourage everybody to go for a higher level education, to go for training. If you want to become a welder, go for it. If you want to become, if you want to take a, a heavy equipment operator course, Go for it. There's many opportunities. You know, if you if you would like to work in a mine, you don't necessarily have to take geology at a university. 
or take a mining technician program college. There's many streams that you can get into to work in mining. For myself, for example, I took indigenous learning and yet here I am working in a mineral exploration camp as their health and safety environment coordinator. What makes you most proud to work in mining? For me, what makes me most proud to work in a mine is uh, having to see my fellow coworkers, you know, go home at the end of a run in the same health that, as they came in, you know. When you work a rotational job that is two weeks or even longer, you're, you're being asked to leave home for two weeks, leave your family, leave your houses, leave your pets, to go work and make a, and earn a living for two weeks. And in those two weeks, you can get lonely. You know, it can get long and it, it can get tiring and stressful. But for me to see my coworkers leave here, you know, in the same health they came in unharmed, I think for me that is a, the greatest thing about my job, you know, is, uh, you know, where I work is a very small camp, you know, so people that come here, we get to know each other very well compared to if you work in a place with, you know, 500 people. When you have a smaller uh, work camp such as this, really get to know people, uh, really get to uh, know where they come from, know, know who they are, and you get excited to, you know, for them when they leave here, because they've been here for so what for such a long time that they finally get home to their families, friends, in the same health that, as they came in. And for me, that is, you know, the most important part of my job. Well, listen, Clyde, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you, Amber. Be sure to follow This Is Mining Online to learn more and join us for our next episode where I take you with me nearly 1.6 kilometers underground inside a mine in Sudbury. Yep, that's nearly three CN Towers deep. This Is Mining, the podcast is brought to you by Amber Mac Media in partnership with the Ontario Mining Association.